Hello everyone, it's Lauren Hubelay here with How We Heal podcast. And I'm so happy to welcome my co-hosts, Megan Lim and Cameron Scott this morning. And we're going to wander around um, looking at the idea of state our felt experience versus our story today. And this may be the first time this idea is introduced to you, that these are actually two different concepts. And I hope by the end of our podcast, you'll have a better feeling for what these have to offer you in your healing process. And um, as we do each week, we blend the best of Asian medicine gemotherapy and polyvagal theory to shed some light on a path for healing. Today, this topic um, speaks deeply to me because um, when I can notice the difference and follow my state rather than my story, I take a small step forward in my healing. And I love this idea of small steps. Mother Teresa has a beautiful quote, do small things with great love. And that's what I feel like I'm doing for myself when I can pause, check in with my experience rather than following that very well laid out creative storyline that I can create. Megan, welcome. Good to have you here. How does that theme resonate with you? Yeah, I think this is so important and to stop and have this be part of how we get to know ourselves and each other a little better. Um, I notice that in my practice often, if I ask a client how they're feeling, they often tell me the story surrounding what happened or they tell me um, why it's happening. So my back hurts, but it's because, you know, many years ago I had this car accident and, and there's a, a story and the story um, on some level is also quite true. I am not invalidating the facts of our life um, because we all have a past of experiences, but they're not the same thing. The story is not the same as the felt experience of the back pain. And there's something that we talk about in uh, polyvagal language called introception, which is just our sense of communication with what's going on inside of us. And so I have become really clear that that's actually what I'm asking somebody. And I've been working with my language to get better at how to ask the question. So I'm not necessarily asking why it happened or um, anything other than what is your felt experience of the pain? And it's true for temperature in Asian medicine. We don't often, um, when I say ask somebody if they're hot or they're cold, do you get hot at night? I'm not asking somebody, have you taken your temperature? 
What are, but what is your felt experience of your temperature? And so as I've developed this practice of diagnosing and asking questions, I've started to look at my own storytelling. And when we go back to the states of the autonomic nervous system, we know that when we feel safe and curious and connected, that we call that ventral vagal. And that is the state in which we have all of our inner resources at our disposal. And we know that without being conscious of it, sometimes we move into a state of protection, um, a more mobilized or maybe a more immobilized place, which we call the sympathetic and dorsal states. So I had this experience recently where um, I was out on a walk with my kids and um, we encountered uh, one of our neighbors and um, she was walking her dog. And I noticed that um, my heart started pounding and I started to feel like my hands were a little bit clammy. Um, I immediately wanted I had that sense of sort of revving inside where I thought, felt like maybe I wanted to do something about something, but I wasn't quite sure what it was. And I love dogs. And this is a great example because there wasn't a clear story that I could make up about it, about, you know, I, I did have never had a bad experience with dogs. We love our dog. And it, I was able to pause once the situation passed and just notice that the state that I was in was a very mobilized state. I went from zero to 60 pretty quickly. Something in my autonomic nervous system was neurocepting, something that felt unsafe to me, even though I couldn't put my finger on what it was. And I like this example because we don't always know exactly what it is, but my mind started wanting to explain it right away. And so the state comes first. The felt experience of the clammy hands and the rapid heartbeat and the wanting to move or do something about the feeling came first. It was a sympathetic mobilized response to something I was encountering. And then I started to respond to that by trying to make up a reason why. And this happens all the time that we encounter things that are maybe unclear and we're not sure of. But what was clear to me is that the story was following the state. And that if I could get clear on my felt experience of it, that that was where the getting to know my autonomic nervous system and the potential for healing and the, the ability to be curious about it. That's where that was for me in that moment. Mm. So beautiful. Thank you, Megan. Thanks for sharing that. Cameron, how do you see this, this situation between these two state story? Mm -hmm. Every day, every moment. <laughs> and one of the fundamental ways of appreciating our autonomic nervous system is understanding that state precedes story every time. Yeah. We have this autonomic nervous system well below our cognitive abilities. It is picking up cues 
from within our body, within our environment, and anytime we're interacting with another autonomic nervous system, that is what the information that on its way to the brain is called neuroception because it's it's not a thought yet it's not it's not it's outside of our awareness but it's influencing with this information whether we can afford to be well engaged with life and feel completely resourced or are there some sort of cues from any of those three arenas that are going no not 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 safe we 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 might have a problem here and to appreciate this is all going on until we befriend our autonomic nervous system before we can get to story. And the, the reason that that word pause that you use, Megan, is so influential in, in befriending our autonomic nervous system is often that pause is unrecognizable, nanosecond, and, and we find ourselves already arriving into story. And, and our minds try to take the information that has come up through neuroception and match it with with a story because that's what we people do we try to make meaning out of it particularly if there's any elements of the cues of dangers like well, we better figure out fast what's going on here oh, one of my simplest and favorite stories is arriving at my office one day and being aware of all of this energy and i'm getting ready to you know, see a, a bunch of clients i'm like what this energy of mobile lives are like what is wrong with me? I'm like, I'm a nervous wreck today. You know, I, I, I don't know what, what's happened, what's going on, what's the matter with me, because I had this mobilized energy. I, I, I was talking fast, the heart palpitation, of my, I, and the story is, what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong? There's an intensity, is there something, there's something wrong? And, and I noticed the state, and I'm like, whoa, I'm really mobilized. And just the awareness, the noticing allowed me to be a little bit curious because curiosity only lives in, in at least a toehold of that ventral vagal prefrontal cortex plugged in. I thought perhaps that cup of decaf coffee I had earlier <laughs> not be caffeinated. My neuroception had been about caffeine. It's a stimulant. My system went, of course, biologically into mobilization. That information was going right up to my brain. And I was, my brain was saying, wow, you're an anxious mess. What is wrong with you? Because the mobilization signaled a cue for danger or threat. And in that moment that I could be curious about my state, which had led to a story of I'm a mess, I'm a, a, an anxious, nervous mess, and I don't even know why, allowed me to ask that question, am I, am I truly in danger? Or do I just have several hours ahead uh, of you know, a lot of energy because I drank caffeinated coffee. And that's where the fundamental possibility of health, growth, restoration, engagement, all those things become back into the, because if we're an adaptive survival response, if our neuroception is a lack of ease, we don't have those resources. Cameron, I think this is such a beautiful illustration of our self-talk to ourselves and a great example of story because your story is one that we have all told ourselves. I mean, maybe there are people that haven't, but I certainly have used all those words inside my head that you're sharing with us now. If we're honest, you know, mess or what's wrong or why am I so messed up? Or so we use these 
negative words with ourselves. And I think part of the practice of becoming more um, aware and befriending our autonomic nervous system is being able to transform that relationship with ourselves to know that the, our neuroception is not a choice. Cameron was having a physical response to something. Her autonomic nervous system was in a survival state or a mobilized state as a response to something. And it doesn't mean that there's something wrong necessarily with us. It doesn't mean that anything is a mess, but we can take it the moment to now understand and honor our autonomic nervous system that it was just simply doing its job. It got a cue that something was off and it responded. And so, um, you know, sometimes I think the story isn't always negative, but often the stories that we create are negative. And there is this big freedom that I've encountered in befriending my autonomic nervous system, in taking away those big umbrella statements about myself of mess or um, wrong or um, all of that. All the ways that I tell myself that I'm not okay. Actually, my nervous system is doing its job so perfectly well. It is, right, Megan? I mean, that that's what it was designed to do. And unfortunately, um, our brain <laughs> likes to take over with story. And, and, and I was thinking about this from the perspective of a practitioner of, you are so wise, Megan, to be working with this concept with your clients of bringing them to their state right helping illuminate that and of course we have to all create that in ourselves. but for practitioners listening so often we get caught up with treating the story and psychology for years has done that right it's followed the story and i i think asian medicine less so but i know in homeopathy and um, I think in the, in the in the allopathic use of gemotherapy, we're create we're we're following story. And one of the things that I love so much about teaching my restoring immunity students is taking them to the place where they can start identifying their state and seeing it in themselves, because I know they will share that with every client that they work with. And when we're working with state, finding a gemotherapy extract to match, finding a, 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 an approach with their body with Asian medicine or applying polyvagal theory, this just comes, right? It, we're just there. There's no um, veil to be dropped because we've dropped it already. I mean, that's something we can do something with. Yeah, um, the analogy of a veil, I think, is beautiful. Because doesn't it feel like a veil has lifted when we get more in touch with what our body is communicating to us? Yeah. yeah. You, you know, um, last night, my son was telling a story. And I know each one of us have been there. And he was telling the story about... Um, 
his partner and a computer issue. What does that do to each one of us when we say computer, right? And particularly right now, when our, our livelihood and all of our appointments, <laughs> right? And I mean, you want to change someone's state quickly, show a black screen or worse, a blue screen, right? And, and where that takes us, helplessness. Oh, here we go again. Oh, I did something wrong. I'm always blowing these things. Or I know nothing about technology. I'm so stupid, right? I mean, think about right, right with what you in line with what you're saying, Megan. We have so much language that comes up, very harsh language around this topic. And he was talking about this experience and how you know he was able to work with the state because he's very polyvagal and informed and um you know give the partner a break and walk through um, the computer difficulties but it's such a beautiful example because we fly to that story so quickly i think particularly in in places where we feel vulnerable and helpless. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I think for our listeners who have studied Buddhism, I think this is not the same as pain versus suffering, but um, it's interesting in that we can separate them like that. So in Buddhism, they describe pain as the felt experience and suffering as the story that we tell about the felt experience. And that is viewed more as a choice. Um, the felt experience is the part that gets us in touch with our state. And that part's not a choice. That's the autonomic nervous system doing its job. And pain is, is maybe not the right word because it's just what we are experiencing in that moment. But in Buddhism, they, they talk about pain versus suffering. So felt experience versus story. And, and Cameron, you brought up the important point that biologically, we do experience our state first. Yep. Every time. It, it is simply what happens after the state. Something has influenced our state. Yeah. So in advice for our listeners, tips for feeling into that state. How do you do that, Cameron? How do you catch yourself in your state before you go to story? Oftentimes we don't. <laughs> Often story is one of our, our first flags that there's been a state shift. Yeah. And the, the word pause is some of that, as Megan suggested, that moment to, to, to reorient, adding a little bit of that curiosity you know, even if we've already arrived into story or as um, I've been taught, gently interrupting so that we can create that space that because story invariably intensifies the state. So that wonderful, what is wrong with me? What is wrong with me? I need to do something. There's not a capacity because that is a, a, a survival response, a mobilized state until we get some perspective. It, no good it will come, only more intense struggle with the state. You never win a fight with yourself in, in a mobilized place. You simply can't, biologically can't. 
Cameron, this is genius. I love that you're offering up because, you know, we are painting story in not the best light right now, right? So mm -hmm. if we take a moment and just note that Cameron is offering us the ability to use story as a tool. I had the most the door to noticing a stage yes. shift. Yes. A most pivotal moment in, in work with a client for both of us, honestly, he came in and he'd been doing polyvagal theory for quite a while and, and really was a good state tracker. And he came in and basically sat down on the sofa and he said, okay, I'm a mess. I'm super mobilized. I have an emergency at home. I, 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 you've got to tell me what to do. You know, we don't have time for polyvagal theory. We have to figure this out right now. I'm like, okay. So we're a super mobilized, super mobilized. And I said, I noticed my mobilization starting to come up. It's like, oh, this is an emergency. I've got to fix this. I got to, I've got to really hop on it and be effective. And then I'm like, okay, Cameron, what's going on? I'm like, I'm getting mobilized. So I brought myself back to a little bit more mobilization. I said, okay, we have a choice point here. You're super mobilized, right? Yeah. I could add my mobilization and for the next hour, we can really find the right thing to do. And I'm going to give you all I got and I give you, tell you what to do and where to go and how to fix it. And you're going to try to figure it out, figure it out, figure it out. Or we can take the next 30 to 60 seconds and bring in some more ventral vagal energy and, and see where possibility really actually lives. So we, we literally did just some, some breath work, and could feel that ventral vagal energy coming back on board. And, and you could, I could feel it in myself. I could see it in my client. And this didn't have to be a client. This could be a family member or best friend or, or your child. And it was just remarkable because together we then appreciated as soon as that ventral vagal possibility existed, he's more regulated. He goes, oh, I know what to do. I could do this, this, or this. But really, when I, when I feel into it, I... And he walked out of my office probably a couple minutes early, said, I'm, I'm good. Yeah. Wow. And that was just by having that opportunity to really appreciate the state and how often the state goes flying into story. And, and that is not where we all lived happily ever after if it's an adaptive survival response. We're biologically jammed. Okay, can I tell you a story? <laughs> yes. So I had this image of a situation come to mind. This is a number of years ago. And I believe that it came to mind in the middle of a treatment. And maybe it was because the person on the table was quite mobilized in Cameron. I think this is coming up for me right now because what you're saying, it is interesting how the two autonomic nervous systems in therapy type situations engage. And that's something we could talk about all day. But to illustrate how we all have our own knowing and inner clarity and how ventral gets us there, I had this image come to mind. And this is the situation. We live in Missouri. And in Missouri, people go to lakes and rivers in the summer. And they put their chair in the water or they wade around. And, and the water is often sometimes clear, but not all the way down. It's not like the ocean. And it can be murky. And so this is a situation. The three of us are standing in the river and the sun is shining on us and it's a warm day and we're just having 
such a beautiful ventral moment together. And I drop, I notice that my wedding ring has fallen off my hand, okay? And it's now down in the water. My immediate desire, I fly into a sympathetic state and I wanna go scrambling through the water before it sinks to the bottom so that I can find the ring, right? But now I'm kicking up all the dirt on the bottom of this river or this lake and I cannot see a thing. Or you guys can co-regulate with me as you always do and say, hey, why don't we just pause for 30 seconds since the water's not deep, let the water settle and you can see where the ring is and just lean down and scoop it up. And I think for me, this, this illustrates the pause so beautifully and illustrates how we get back to clarity with the pause so beautifully. And I have found that it's applicable to so many moments. Oh, Megan, of course, I'm going to love that story because it's about a river, right? (laughs) But that is, that's spot on. And I think with both of your examples, something I would really like to bring to light is these are really more efficient ways of working with ourselves anyway. It, we think, oh, I don't have the time to slow down or I don't have the time not to go into this place because I need to know this now, right? And giving ourselves the time for, for to open up to curiosity and a word I want to put out there is being compassionate with ourselves for just a split second or two, right? Can, can begin to open up that curiosity, can illuminate how we're following the story, because I'm sure there was would be a story with you, Megan, already flying if you're losing something that's dear and important to you, right? We all have stories that follow that line. And, and so uh, for me, I, I think to all of our listeners, this, this gift I want to offer up um, from each of our perspectives is this really small thing. It really is a very small thing of taking this time, of taking a moment, count to 10 and notice your state. Um, Find a way to do that. And I would invite you to do that today, to find one moment in your day today that you notice yourself becoming mobilized, your thoughts becoming rapid, perhaps your body heating up or your breathing or your heart rate accelerating and take a moment and check in and discover what what line you're following. Are you following the line of the story or are you checking in and being present with your body, being compassionate and curious about what's happening? Yeah, it's a practice. State tracking is a practice. It is. The payoff is rich. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think that's a beautiful place to close, Megan. We can't top that. So I'd like to thank all of our listeners for joining us in this rich conversation and inviting you to um, work on your practice um, in the weeks and the days ahead. 
before we um, drop our next episode for you. And um, ladies, uh, if people are interested in your work and your practice, Cameron, where would you direct folks to learn more about you or polyvagal theory? There are two ways. There are actually three websites I highly recommend, or at least two out of three, because one of them is mine. <laughs> but there's the Polyvagal Institute, which is where Deb Dana and Steve Forges have come together and, and really are culling many, many aspects of interest around polyvagal theory from all over the world. Deb Dana has her own rhythmofregulation.com, um, where you can really find out personally some of her teachings and some of her wisdom. And Cameron Scott MA is where you can find a little bit about me. Wonderful. And Megan? Yeah, you can find out more about my practice and uh, my work in Asian medicine at acumep.com. You. And if you're interested in gemotherapy and following this um, path, I happen to be starting a new series of courses that begin the first week of April. It's a 12-week program divided into four-week segments called Restoring Immunity. And you can find that on my website, laurenhubelay.com. Ladies, thank you. It's been a great pleasure. <laughs>